morning? Anyone out there? Yeah, yay! Okay, good. In that case, I like to um, I like to have a little bit of interaction when I talk. So please feel free to be like, "Amen!" Like, give me a little something so I know that you're out there and you're alive. Okay. There we go. It's a good start. It's a good start. I did. I remember one church um, during COVID when the whole uh, singing stuff, and you can do a lot of things, that some people had placards in some churches that they would hold up where you couldn't shout with like an amen. I'd rather you just say stuff. So, um, so you know, I'm, amen. There we go. Um, so we are in a, an adventure at the moment as Numa Church. We have transitioned... Um, into we are becoming Numa Church. We were Ashford Vineyard in the past few months. We've made that transition. And we've been um, expressing the culture of what Numa Church is about and what we feel God has planted in us um, in a number of statements. And if you haven't got a culture journal, I would really encourage you to get one. And if you're not in a culture group, I would really encourage you to get in one. And this is spaces and places that happen during the week, online, in person, where people meet together and they chew over this stuff. Why? Because if this stuff remains written word on pages, it is useless. It is totally useless, and it's a complete waste of time. The whole point of this is that we start to embed the culture in the gut of who we are, and we start to live it in a way that brings transformation to us and every place and space we go into. And so it's so much more than words on a page and a bunch of statements. It's something we want to live and breathe. Now, for the very astute among you, you may have noticed last week that Chris did part one of Numa Church's family, and some of you may be thinking, what happened to number five in the series? We seem to have skipped it. We did. Chris accidentally preached on the wrong topic last week. (laughs) So um, I would love to say that the Holy Spirit prompted him and was like, we're moving direction, this is what you need to do. No, he just totally got the wrong subject. Um, So what we're going to do is I'm going to do part two of Numa Church's family, and we're going to jump back to number five a little bit later on. So if you've been leading a culture group, it's a free-for-all. Do what you like. You can do number five, you can do number six, um, but I'm going to be doing part two of number six today, which is Numa Church's family. Um, And this one, I mean, all the statements are precious to us. We poured over them, we prayed over them, we asked God to speak to us about who we were becoming. Um, But there's something about the culture of family which uh, moves me. Um, Healthy family real family, a place of belonging, a place of significance. There is something about that that moves me deeply. And, um, and that's what I want to talk to you about today is this concept of we can say the sentence, church is family, but if it feels like a social club, we've totally missed it. We've totally missed it. We can say church is family, But if we walk into the building and we're in crisis and someone asks us how we are and we say, fine, then it's meaningless. Because family is messy, it's vulnerable, it's real, it's the highs, the lows, the everything in between. And personally, I am absolutely done with church being a space where you put on your Sunday best and you put a smile on and you have to turn up and pretend to be something else. We're just done. Done with it. If we can't be gritty and raw and honest in our best and our very worst moments, then frankly, you should go and join a running club 
or do something else on a Sunday. Because actually, it is meaningless if we can't connect with God and with each other. I mean, you can run on another day. It's not like running is anti-Jesus, like running's great. Um, But I think there is something about authentic family that we long for. We long for. And I think what happens is sometimes we see glimpses of it and it makes us hungry for more. But too often the pathways of how we've done church before slip back in and then we just go back into going through the motions again. And actually it's just really dull. It's really dull. When we can't bring our whole self to something and to a community, then actually our heart isn't being fully presented to someone in a way that they can see God in us and they can speak God into us. Because God isn't interested in our polished performances. I'm now 43 years old, and I'm still learning this the hard way. It would seem I'm wired for performance. You know, I'm someone who, when Chris said about addictions, oh, approval all the way, performance all the way. I like to get things right. I like to know I'm succeeding. I like to be good at things. Frankly, if I don't think I'm going to be good at something, I don't do it. So, um, because then I don't have to face the whole kind of the vulnerability that is found in trying to do something that is hard or that we may fail at. But do you know some of the great moments of connection with God as Father have been when I've been on my knees in a place of failure, feeling like I can't do it. And he's like, I know, it turns out you needed me all along. I'm like, oh, yes. Except when I'm self-sufficient, I don't need him so much. How does this link with family? It's so crucial that as a people, as a, a group of people following Jesus, we can bring our whole selves Because he designed us and made us to bring everything, not to leave the ugly, unpretty parts behind. And sometimes it's okay to say you're fine. We talked about this in our culture group online. You know, frankly, if I came here on a Sunday morning and someone said, how are you? And then I had a complete breakdown before I was about to stand up and do this and poured out all the inner, you know, sadness in my heart. It's not particularly the right time, you know, or the right context. But... When you find yourself in a pattern of denying your authentic self, that's a problem. It's okay to protect and it's okay to choose wisdom sometimes in how you operate in family. And sometimes protecting yourself looks like not telling everybody everything in your life. But it's about a pattern. And if you're holding back all the time, that's a problem. Because it means that you don't feel safe. And if you don't feel safe, you won't bring your full self. And then when God's trying to pour healing into it through this community and through what he wants to do, he'll only get to the bit that you're allowing him to get to. Anyway, I haven't written any of that down. That's just a little intro for you. Um, So (laughs) how about that? Family's important. So family is important. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the the statements up that we say about family. And you've been sat down for at least three minutes. So um, stand up. We're going to read these together. I know. You're up, we're down. You don't need a running club after all. You can just stand up and sit down here. So if we can just have those on the screen, that would be great. And we're going to read these together. We are adopted into God's family. So we intentionally create spaces for meaningful connection as we do life together as a family. We think of and treat one another like we're part of a healthy family considering others in the choices and decisions we make. 
We live from a place of freedom that understands we are loved and belong, not for what we do, but because of who we are. Honour is our relational glue. We believe the best first and speak well of others, even when we disagree. Hold up. Take a minute. Just let that last one sink in just for a second. We're going to come back to that a lot. Okay. So even when we disagree, we call out dishonor when we see or hear it, knowing that the way we love others is a direct reflection of how we love God. And form and structure is there only to support and liberate. Do take a seat. You can, Abs. You can sit down now. I'm not even going to make you stand up again. Good news. So I'm going to focus this morning on that one where I held that space about honour. How do we love others? How do we honour people when actually society and culture really paints an opposite picture? Particularly when we don't agree with people, how do we honour them? Particularly when people have hurt us, how do we honour them? Because it's interesting that the Bible talks loads about honour, but it doesn't give us many outs. It doesn't say, honour people if they're nice to you. Honour people if you like them. Honour people if they've been kind. It says, honour one another. And in Romans 12, it actually says, try to outdo yourselves in respect and honour of one another outdo yourself. So it's not even a neutral position. It's not even a neutral position of honour people. It's like honour them and then honour them more and then honour them more and then honour them more. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise that you were the judge and jury of their value. It turns out that you aren't. God designed them and made them. They are his children and it is our place to honour. The Bible tells us very clearly to love and honour. And I would be really interested to see what culture would look like if actually we lived in a world, a community, in schools, in workplaces, in churches. Because let's be really clear, churches are not immune to dishonor. In fact, some of the greatest dishonor I see happens within church contexts, but it happens in quite a passive-aggressive way where we might be telling someone as a prayer request. Um, But actually, we're actually dishonouring somebody by saying how much they've hurt us or what they've done or who they are. So let's not be um, fooled into thinking that dishonour only happens for people who don't know Jesus. I think there's a lot of dishonour that happens all the time within and outside of church. But the Bible is super, super clear on this. It says a lot. You know, you can get those um, things in like the range and stuff that you hang on your wall and it's like in this family we are and then it like it's like the family rules or these statements that you can put up and then everyone puts them on their wall and then hopes that they might even achieve a couple of them but realizes that actually it's not really like that in their house a lot of the time but it's like aspirational well if I was going to make a wall hanging out of what a family culture looks like within a church context I would make it Romans 12 And I'm going to just read some snippets of this. I'm going to jump in and out, but it's going to come up on the screen. But if you've got your Bibles, Romans 12, um, 9 to 21. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another 
and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. That's why I started talking about authenticity. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion toward him boiling hot. Jumping down slightly, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them. And eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Speak blessing, not cursing, over those who reject and persecute you. Celebrate with those who celebrate, weep with those who grieve. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you're too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment you know it all. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. I mean, talk about a family culture. This is hard. It's not sometimes, maybe if you're in a good mood, if you're not tired. This is constantly, always. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. I think there is something in these words that we can read as a passage of the Bible and go, oh, amen, yeah, so good, amen. And then within five minutes in your heart, in your head or with your mouth, you've contradicted it in some way. And I think it's important for us to realize this is difficult and it's a work in progress. And I'm talking to myself as much as anybody. And I was... um, considering the other day about, well, if honor is placing value in people, that's where the root of the word comes from originally in the Greek. It's actually, it was originally a cultural thing of monetary value. Have you ever heard the word honorarium? Have you heard that? Where someone comes to do something, speak, bring something, and you pay them an honorarium. This is where this comes from. It's like you're deciding the worth and value of what they're bringing, and you're honoring it by paying them for it. And the word honor is all around assigning value and worth to people. That's where it comes from. So dishonor is really about contempt. Dishonor is about seeing people as less than, othering people, lower, making judgments of them, holding opinions about them, which frankly, you don't have responsibility for, but you have the right in your mind to have an opinion about somebody. And I would say, if I could sum it up in one gesture, and in a house of three teenage girls, um, I would say, this is a gesture we see fairly frequently. If I could sum up in one gesture, it would be the eye roll. Because there's something about an eye roll. There's something about it that doesn't say, you're horrible, you're wrong, I'm judging you. There's something about a... (sighs) That, if I could sum up dishonor, is an eye roll. That's what it is. Because do you know what? It's sneaky. It's passive. It's little. It's not loud. It's not big. Sometimes it's very loud and it's very big and it's very obvious. And when we can see someone being dishonored very overtly, it's very obvious. 
But actually, if we want to examine our hearts and what we're hearing about in this passage, I want you to consider on dishonor, not as the big loud one, but as the... That shows you the condition of your heart. When someone says something and you intuitively feel a bit like, here we go. Yeah, that's dishonor. That's dishonor. And it's an exposure of what's going on in your heart and it's not coming out in a loud way. So what does the Bible say about honoring people? If it says, well, we need to honor how, in what context? Well, in Exodus... In the Ten Commandments, it says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord that God is giving you. And this is the first of the Ten Commandments with a promise attached to it. So things like don't murder doesn't come with like a don't murder and you will be healthy. It's like don't murder. It's like the end. The first of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise is this one. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land of God. There's a promise attached to that. He's saying, honor your father and mother. Now, you may be here today saying, actually, my parents are not worthy of honor. They have hurt me. They have abandoned me. They have caused me hurt, pain. But honor is actually about assigning value to someone without needing to let them into that, your space to influence your heart. God can deal with that. But everybody is worthy of honor, irrespective of what they have done. They were designed and created. They are worthy of honor. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. There's another promise attached. Then, treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. (laughs) Do you know what? Isn't that interesting? Honoring your spouse or honoring people in relationships is so important that if you don't honor, it actually hinders your prayers. That's mad, right? I love the fact we love a bit of tipex in a Bible. We love the whole kind of, yeah, 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 we'll just take that little bit out because that's a bit too uncomfortable. Well, it's in. It's definitely in. And I would say, if you... Um, husbands in the room, if you want to know how to honour your wife, there is a professional sat in the front row right here. Chris Kimmons, honestly, (laughs) you're all going to hate him in a minute, but I'm going to linger here a minute because this really, really matters. It really matters. And he loves to hear it. Chris loves to receive praise. It's like a real love language for him. He feels so comfortable in it. But do you know what? Chris lays his life down for me every day. Every day. Sometimes it's in the small ways. Sometimes it's in the big ways. Every day he lays his life down to bring me honor. And do you know what? It's a beautiful thing. I feel, yay, James is like, good. Every day he does. And do you know, sometimes it's in the smallest thing. We are really fortunate to have an electric car that means you can control the settings before you've got in it. And when it's cold and I'm going out early to work, Chris warms the car for me before I get in it. And do you know what? He doesn't do it to get brownie points. He does it because he knows that it will add something to me. 
When I go out in the morning, and I've been experiencing some poor health recently, and that's been really tough, and to come downstairs in the morning when I'm about to get myself out when I've not been feeling well, and my entire work bag is packed for me with everything he knows that I need. Why? Because he pays attention to detail. He's still loving this. He pays attention to anticipating my needs. Why? Because he honors me in our marriage. He honors me. And I would encourage you, it doesn't, even if you are here and you're single, honor your friends. (laughs) There you go. Honor your friends. Honor your spouse. Honor your family like that. Honor says, I'm going to learn what brings you life and I'm going to anticipate your need and then I'm going to actually sacrifice something of myself to bring it to you. That's what honor does. That's what honor does. How about this one? Really tricky. Romans 13 talks about submitting and giving honor to those in government over us. How many eye rolls around the room then? How many eye rolls? Do you know what? I think one of the biggest issues we have in society is we have been told that honour is directly related to agreement, and it's a lie. It's a total lie. If you're waiting to agree with people before you honour them, you are, frankly, disobeying what God is asking of us as believers. I'm going to be that hard. It's disobedience. It's not just a bad idea, it's disobedience. God has set world and life and relationship up to thrive. He has set them up to thrive. And when they don't thrive, we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves and say, how are we not cooperating with the design that he has given us? And actually, this is where we have to learn how to honor in disagreement. I honor you as a man or a woman placed in authority over me. And I may disagree with your policies. I may disagree with your morals. I may disagree with your decision-making. But I honour you because I recognise, biblically, you've been placed in a position of authority. How do you honour someone you disagree with? Well, it starts with praying. Pray blessing on them. Pray blessing on them. Find the politician or the person in government you most disagree with and then make time every day to pray blessing over their family, their marriages, their finances, their decision-making. That's what honour looks like. You're like, but have you any idea what they're like? Yeah, pray blessing over them. Find the one you hate the most and pray blessing over them because they are valuable in God's sight. And you know what? Their leadership will probably improve when you start praying for them. Thank you. Oh, hallelujah as well. There we go. And then here, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the church being like a body and there being lots of different parts of the body. And there's these kind of significant parts and then the parts that you might see is not so significant. If you've ever injured a finger, you will know how the small parts of the body often can cause you some of the biggest problems. Or if you've ever had appendicitis, an appendix is a teeny tiny part of your body that you would see as insignificant until it's infected or ruptured, in which case you are going to know about it. And I think what we do is sometimes we assign honour according to significance or notoriety or in our culture celebrity. 
There is something about, oh, I'm going to honour you because you're really significant. But what about that we honour the people who actually are just those people behind the scenes going about their day, that they may feel unseen or insignificant, but they are highly significant. And it's interesting when God talks about people like that and this kind of concept that we're all one body in different parts. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary... Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. Special honour. It's like this back-to-front kingdom all over again, where rather than the people who we think are worthy of less, they're the ones he's saying give special honour to. And I would love to take a moment... Um, to talk about some of the people briefly here that are part of this community who you will probably never see stand on this platform. You'll never see with a microphone. But you know what? They do amazing things and they give and they love and they serve. So one of the people I was mindful of as I was talking, and I haven't told them because they'd be like, no, um, which says a lot about people actually. When you say, oh, I'd love to celebrate you. And if someone goes, oh, brilliant. (laughs) Actually, that's good and that's okay. But it's often the people who feel they are more insignificant, that are more uncomfortable. Many of you may have met um, Kaz Wellard or Caroline Wellard. She has been part of this community from the very beginning, really, really early on. And over the last 12 years, she has poured her life out. She has poured her life out into this community. She is up, I think she's up there today. She's upstairs pouring herself into the children. Why? Because she absolutely believes in those children coming into a relationship with God and she sees that she has a part to play in it. She shows up even when it's hard. When life's hard and she's got stuff going on in the background, she gives of herself. When it's our big Christmas dinner, she spends time at home when she works and has three children With other people, she makes little busy bags to put on the table for the children at the big Christmas dinner so they've got something to do. You won't see her up here telling you those things that she does, but she is an incredibly precious part of this family, and we're so grateful for her. And then we've got Alan Bisbee, who I think is around somewhere. Alan, you'll often see on the door, if you're a hugger, he's your man. He's your man. He also happens to be my father-in-law. He provides fatherly hugs at all opportunities. He is someone who volunteers his time to do all our bookkeeping. At a time in his life when he could be slowing down and saying, actually, I'm going to create all this space to myself. No, he gives of his time to do the books and to keep the finances in order here at the church. And he does it out of service. Why? Because he's part of the family and he sees that this is a way he can contribute and it's a beautiful contribution that he makes. And honour can look like publicly celebrating and I want to take just a tiny moment now um, and I did ask permission for this one. Uh, Many of you will know James McDermott. You would have seen him. He stood against the back wall. He's often frequenting the back wall. Um, And this week, James celebrated three years clean from drugs on his recovery (laughs) programme. And what does James say when he walks into this space? As someone who's not grown up or been around church, he comes through the door and he's like, oh, it's like my family. It's like my family. 
That's what we dream of. Because actually, James has felt honored in this space, and we've had lots of conversations. And he is part of a recovery program where he meets lots and lots of people, and they're wonderful people. But he says there's something that happens when he walks in here because everybody treats him like they're pleased to see him. And, and he's James. James isn't coming and throwing loads of money out everywhere and coming and standing on a platform or the rest of it. He brings his whole self. He brings vulnerability. He brings authenticity and he comes into a room. And when he does that, this room's better for it. And this family is better for having you in it, James. And we absolutely love having you as part of this family. And you've got loads to offer to this family and who you are and how you live. And I hope we can learn from you. I hope I can keep learning from you. And one of the ways I learned from James is that every day he sends me his gratitude list. And every single day I have the total privilege of reading what James has woken up and is grateful for. And I can be having a rubbish day and then I read the things that James is living through and what he's grateful for and that's a leveller. That's a leveller. So if you want to learn to be grateful and you want to live from that place, go and honor James and ask him why he does a gratitude list every day and how you can start one, because I'm sure he could add something to your life in that way. He's an amazing man. So we're going to bring this into land, and then we're just going to have a chance just to respond. If honor is what we're going after, what's the opposite? It's contempt. It's the eye roll. It's the tut. That's another one. You can tell I live in a house of teenagers. <laughs> Whew. It's not the big outbursts. It's a that. Whew. If you want to push my buttons at home, that's the one. Tut or eye roll at me, and I have to go and scream into a pillow somewhere. But what is it? It's this contempt. This is what we're looking for in our hearts. That Actually, it's almost like as I've been speaking, I can see. It's sometimes we have contempt in our heart. It's dishonor, and it needs surgically removing. It needs digging out. If you've ever had a thorn or something, um, a foreign body, uh, stuck under your skin or something, you actually, you can't often just get it out. You have to a little bit dig it out. I know this is a bit graphic, but actually it matters that it's a bit graphic because it's painful and it hurts. But actually, if you want to clean out a wound and get the stuff out of it, you have to get in and dig it out, and then you have to cleanse it. And I feel like that is what God's inviting us into today when we look at family and dishonor. And actually, we need to start digging out some of this dishonor and the offense that we're holding towards other people, the offense we're holding towards other people's opinions and disagreements. And we need to allow God as surgeon to dig it out and then to bring cleansing instead because what happens is we, other people, we compare ourselves to an element of someone else that we don't like because it makes us feel better. For those of you here that are parents, when you've had those moments of absolutely losing it and feeling that you're at the end of yourself, and then you go into a supermarket and you see another parent shouting or screaming at their child, you actually make a little judgment. And if you're honest, I think there is a part of you that's probably thinking, oh, it's not just me. Like, actually, oh, that, that was worse. That's what you quickly jump to, is, you know, oh, I might do that, but, oh, at least I'm not that bad. So true. At least I'm not that bad. Why do we do that? Well, it makes us feel better. And there's a quote from um, a guy called Jonathan Haidt, who is a psychologist. And for me, if there were one thing that summed up the society we live in, it is found in this quote. Social media, the news, the radio, it is absolutely everywhere. He says this, scandal is great entertainment 
because it allows people to feel contempt, a moral emotion that gives feelings of moral superiority while asking nothing in return. I'm going to say that again. Scandal is great entertainment because it allows people to feel contempt, a moral emotion that gives feelings of moral superiority while asking nothing in return. He then goes on to say this. With contempt, you don't need to right the wrong, as you do with anger, or flee the scene, as with fear and disgust. And the best of all, contempt is made to share. Stories about the moral failings of others are among the most common kind of gossip. They offer a ready way for people to show that they share in a common moral orientation. We're not like them. And you see it online everywhere. And it's horrendous, absolutely horrendous, the things that get written about people online with no regard for that person's thoughts or feelings. Well, you know, surely they've got it coming. They're celebrities, right? Oh, I'm sorry, they're also a son or a daughter. And yes, they happen to be a celebrity and they might make choices that you don't agree with, but they're a human being. So let's not be immune to how we talk about people when we're not face-to-face with them in that moment. And the last thing I would say is Joyce Meyer, she's a staple preacher. She's like a proper preacher. She, um, she's amazing. She has a brilliant quote when it comes to this kind of contempt and bitterness. And she says, this is about offence, because if you've got offended with someone, you'll see it everywhere. If you've got offended by someone, they'll breathe in the same room as you and you'll be like, oh, I can't believe they just did that. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, we're laughing because it's actually really true. So, you know, someone has hurt or offended you, even the way that they eat will annoy you after that because it's like you're offended. And so you're suddenly offended and you'll see it everywhere. But what's interesting, Joyce Meyer says this, bitterness and unforgiveness, which is that perpetual going over the offence, rehearsing it, is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. It's just right. So true, so true. When we're offended with people and we hold bitterness, it's like drinking poison ourselves and hoping they die. The only person getting sick and ill and bitter and wrought up is you. You've got to release them to God to do their thing. So let's stand and we're going to pray as we respond to this. Yeah, I know. We've been sat down a while now. You can stand up again. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we invite you into this space right now. Just where you're stood now, I encourage you, if you're a visual thinker, that's how I think, maybe picture that wound and ask God, what is the dishonor that's crept in? Where's it come from? What's the root? Father, we ask that you would bring to mind for people now, people, situations where we have become offended and rather than taking our hurt to you, we've allowed that to become like a cancerous dishonor.
And we need your help, Holy Spirit. We know that this is not something we can just do by ourselves if we want it to be fully met and cleansed. We need you. We need courage, but we need your cooperation with our courage to root out the dishonor that has become endemic within communities and our lives and our families. And if you feel able, I would encourage you, I'm going to pray a a prayer that effectively hands the dishonor back to God and gives him permission to uh, nudge us and make us aware of where that is operating in our hearts. So you don't have to join me in that. But if you would like to see that happen in your life, I'd encourage you to say this after me. Holy Spirit, I need you. I give you full permission to root dishonor out of my heart. To give me the eyes to see people the way you see them. To be burdened to pray for those I feel are the hardest. Have your way in my heart in my mind, and in my speech. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Numa Sunday's podcast. For more information, go to numachurch.uk, where you can find more ways to connect with us. Have a great week, and remember you're loved.